Welcome to the Victorious Souls Podcast with self-love coach, Danielle Burnock. Things happen in our lives that make us feel powerless. But Danielle believes that anyone can become a victorious soul by reclaiming what belongs to them, their value, their belovedness, and their God-given superpower. The Victorious Souls Podcast is dedicated to empowering you to rise up, reclaim, and embrace the change from survive to thrive as a victorious soul through the power of love. And now, here's that lady on the internet who loves you, Danielle. Hello and welcome to my live interview today for the Victorious Souls podcast. Today I have a woman who is a veteran, so we want to thank her for her service and today she is going to be sharing her story about a traumatic brain injury that she sustained. She is a wife, she is a mom, she is an author, she is a pediatrician and a retired Army Lieutenant Colonel, sharing her story today about how she suffered that traumatic brain injury and how she overcame that traumatic brain injury. And she has a book, Hot Mess to Wellness. So welcome with me today, Amanda Zine. Should be here. And for those who don't know me, I am Danielle Burnock from DanielleBurnock.com. Love yourself from Survive to Thrive, that lady on the internet who loves you. So welcome with me today, Amanda Zine. Thank you, Amanda. I told them that I just got stuck on the veteran thing first and just messed up my whole intro the way I normally do it. <laughs> just to say thank you for your service. Uh, we just had Veterans Day here and just thank you for all you have done for us. And thank you for being with us today to share your story about, you know, your injury and overcoming and your new book. But before we get into all that, share a little bit about growing up and how you got to where you are today. Um, well, uh, I grew up in Illinois, a little town. Well, I middle of nowhere, really. Um, and uh, I always, always, always wanted to be a doctor. So um, basically, I had no other goal in mind. Um, I uh, initially wanted to be a surgeon and then I job shadowed a surgeon and was like, no way. Uh, I don't <laughs> want those hours. I now realize that a pediatrician has worse hours than a surgeon. Um, <laughs> because, <laughs> because you work a lot of I don't think doctors have great hours anyways, um, do they? <laughs> Yeah, not unless you're a specialist. Um, but uh, uh, my junior year of high school, I was in a bad car accident um, and had a pretty significant head injury with with uh, that car accident. But because my other injuries were so um, bad, the head injury was was not really talked about. Then again, it was in '97, so um, I don't know that a lot of emphasis was put on head injuries back then. Um, it was, it was never, ever a thing. Um, I did no recovery whatsoever. Uh, oh, wow. 
looking back on it, you know, I think about that, but at the time and even up until uh, recently, I never really thought about it. Um, I, uh, I graduated high school. I did pre-med. I always, you know, I, I was a uh, matter of fact, one of the ROTC people um, I went to college with used to make fun of me and joke around about how I never went out and partied. Um, but uh, um, as far as the army goes, I never wanted to be in the army. Didn't want anything to do with the military at all, period. I told recruiters, no way ever. Nope. Mm -mm. And uh, we were at a uh, open house for a college I was looking at. Private college, super expensive. Mom said, I have no idea how we could pay for this. You should sign up for this scholarship. And Major Jaco, yes, that was... 20 some years ago, and I still remember his name, uh, talked my mom into this scholarship for the army. And my mother said, you need to apply for this. I said, oh yeah, sure. Whatever. I'll never get it. And then I got the stupid thing. (laughs) And in order to get it, I had to jump through all these hoops because of my head injury that I didn't realize was a big deal. Um, and my car accident in general, just because I had two collapsed lungs and uh, two chest tubes and broken bones and well, mainly ribs and collarbone. And, and then, you know, I hit my head um, obviously. So um, I had to get all these letters from doctors saying I was okay. And then I got the scholarship, but I had a year to decide whether or not um, I wanted to go ahead and commit because it was a three-year scholarship. So my first year of college, uh, I did not have to commit. Um, I just got to try out kind of ROTC and I loved it. Mm. I had so much fun. So loved ROTC the people. was in college, not high school? Yes, ROTC was in college. <sighs> okay. Yes. So my high school was a teeny tiny, tiny high school. It was made up of three towns and had a total of 300 people in it. Um, it is super small. As a matter of fact, it's even smaller now. My sister's son just graduated last year and his class had 49 people in it. Wow. Um, yeah, we were, we were a very, very small. Um, I grew up on, my parents had, um, I think six acres and my grandparents had a farm surrounding that. Uh, so yeah, I, I, um, I, was, I was in the country. Um, and, uh, so I went to college, did ROTC, loved every minute of it. Um, and went ahead and, um, branched. So when you graduate college at ROTC, you're also commissioned into the army. as the lowest ranking officer that that you could possibly be um but you're an officer as opposed to enlisted um and you have to branch and you don't necessarily get a choice in that you get to 
give them your options and your preferences, but that doesn't mean you're going to get them. Mm. Um, and if you want to go to medical school, you not only have to branch, which your branch doesn't really matter if you go to medical school, because you also have to apply for a delay in education. So mm. I had to um, get into medical school, get a delay for education. And I was also applying for what they called at the time an HPSP scholarship, which is basically a scholarship to pay for your medical school, mm. um, which is a much better deal than ROTC. Um, back when I was in ROTC, ROTC, they, they support you a lot more. But back then, I got $150 a month, $450 a year for books, which bought one biology book. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and they paid my tuition, but they did not pay my room and board. So I still had to take out some loans, but medical school, everything was covered. Um, wow. So yeah, it was an amazing deal. Um, so I was really, really hoping I already owed four years to the army because of, uh, being in ROTC and then paying for my college. I was really hoping that I would get the scholarship to pay for my med school because it just made sense. You know, Mm -hmm. why have a bunch of debt if I already owe time Mm -hmm. at that time, my goal was get in, get out, get done. I, I still did not see myself staying in the army. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, uh, I ended up branching medical service corps, which basically meant that I would be um, like an ambulance driver or or not an ambulance driver, um, an ambulance company uh, platoon leader or a um, basically just a leader in the, the um admin type areas okay um then there's medical core so i actually commissioned twice Hmm. i commissioned in 2002 into the medical service core and then when i graduated med school i commissioned in 2007 into the medical core which Hmm. is where all the docs are Hmm. so um yeah, went to med school, uh, graduated med school and um, was supposed to go to Texas for my residency. And uh, my, uh, were we married at the time? It was my first husband. Um, can't remember if we were married or engaged at the time. Uh, on match day, I found out we were going to Hawaii uh, which was a huge shock, um, because we had no plans to go there and moved far, far away from family, which was hard. Um, and had my first child while I was an intern or my only child, I guess. Um, I say first child because now I'm remarried and have two stepkids and they, I consider consider them my children. Um, they're not biologically mine. Um, they're still my boys. Um, so, uh, but I had my, uh, my daughter, uh, my first year, uh, in residency, which was, um, not ideal. 
Um, I can't imagine. Uh, yeah, I've seen it, too it much put, TV. I don't know how much it goes with that, but just thinking me, about TV, yeah. it's like, oh my goodness. It put me about six months behind my peers. Um, I definitely was uh, was at a disadvantage uh, because I couldn't do inpatient medicine while pregnant because they put a cap on your hours. Uh, the military does. Mm -hmm. uh, it has nothing to do with med. Now medicine has all these caps on on residents and they don't get near the education they should get. Yes, I get it. We need caps because of people getting tired and we want to reduce mistakes, but there are a lot of caps on them now that um, I feel decreases the education they get, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> little me. But. So yeah, I, uh, I did my first three years in the army uh, in Hawaii, but didn't get to enjoy it because I was working 80 hours a week in the uh, hospital. Um, we uh, we did get out some. Uh, I, I, I shouldn't say I didn't get to enjoy it because I, I did get to go out um, some. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I. Um, graduated residency and. Uh, basically was told you're going operational. Uh, so the difference is uh, you either work in a hospital and do nothing but medicine and take care of whoever it is that you trained three years to take care of, or you go operational and work on what's called the force comm side and you're a battalion surgeon. Um, which what does just that mean in basically terms? means, yeah, which just, I, yeah, I was going to explain, Okay. Which just basically I'm means like, that you take care of here. soldiers, you take care of soldiers. That's all it okay. means. Like the surgeon general isn't a surgeon. Right. Uh, you know, it, it can be a nurse. It can mm -hmm. be a doctor. It can be a PA. It, it, it's medical. Um, but the, uh, the battalion surgeon is basically a doc that takes care of the soldiers in that battalion. Okay. Um, and because I was a pediatrician, I was considered basically general medicine and I could fill any of those spots. Mm -hmm. So um, when I was in residency, I was lucky enough. They tried to send every resident on some type of medical mission. And I was lucky enough that my schedule matched up with Cobra Gold, which is a mission that the Army and Navy do every year together. Hmm. And the Army CBs uh, go out and, and work on the schools in Thailand. Um, hmm. They build things. They, uh, the Engineer Corps, I think, was with, out with us. Um, we basically did seven different clinics in five different places and saw thousands of people. Wow. It was one of the most amazing experiences. Because, How much time was that? Uh, we were there for 16 days. And I, uh, I saw some of the most incredible things because they don't have modern medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw a woman who literally walked across the mountains from Burma to to um, cross the border because she heard Americans were going to be in Thailand. Um, she uh, 
she brought her baby in and that baby had the worst hydrocephalus, which basically means that there's so much fluid, it's not draining properly, the spinal fluid in the head, um, that the baby, it, the, oh, it was horrible. The baby's head, it looked like an alien because wow. the top of its skull was so large oh, wow. from the fluid and the baby was 18 months old but was about the size of a six month old wow um, so we sent the baby to the hospital but I doubt even in Thailand that they I doubt in America that they could fix that baby um because it was it was something that we fix right away you know, it's something that we see that in a baby in utero, in the ultrasounds. Mm -hmm. And they just, it's amazing. Some of the most simple things that we do. Um, we gave all the kids a toothbrush and chocolate, which totally makes no sense. But, <laughs> I could see the, the, the irony of that. <laughs> and, and they all got wormed. We gave them, yes. We gave them a little bottle of parental, which tasted like banana. I ended up taking some because I kept telling them all it was delicious to get them to take it. Um, I learned a little, we all had a translator too. So myself and the attending doc that was with me, uh, Dr. Uh, Verghese was her name. She was one of the attendings, um, had, a, had our own interpreter that was with us. Um, there was a family medicine resident and attending also. Um, and then there were a bunch of medics um, from throughout the hospital. And uh, we, we, I kept telling these kids that it was, so I asked my interpreter uh, how to say the different things. And so I could, you know, say some things. I was like, man, I'm telling these kids, this is delicious. How bad is it? It wasn't horrible, but it was like eating a chalk piece of chalk that was banana flavored. It was, <laughs> it was, it was not good, but to see the joy on the kids' faces when we gave them a toothbrush and then like, you'd go to the bathroom and they'd have like a trough sink outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the kids would be brushing their teeth. Like they'd be so excited for a toothbrush. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, I think everyone should do something service wise when they graduate high school. Mm -hmm. I, I think everyone should something, I, I, there, I think there should be some kind of program that, you know, pays a stipend for you to live and there's maybe even housing and there's an inner city version where you can go in and, and help the underprivileged kids here, or you can join the military or you can join the Peace Corps. I think mm -hmm. everyone should have to do a year where they see how other people live and they understand a little bit more about how awesome we have it yeah because especially our kids now they don't realize and even some adults it's like oh my gosh my phone doesn't work it's the end of the world and I think we all forget sometimes mm 
because we're so used to certain things. Mm-hmm. But then you go and you see the joy on a kid's face because you gave them a cheap, like probably less than a dollar toothbrush, you know, because they're bought in bulk. Like Mm -hmm. it's just, it's, it's, it's something that I really, I think that everyone should have to experience. Yeah. It enlarges our view because all we know is our own perspective. We can't expect people to know what they have no knowledge of. And so enlarging their view, like one thing, raising our kids, I've been to Guatemala a couple of times. I wasn't there for a year, but both of my children have been there and they've been able to view a different culture. And they took us on, um, it was, we were helping at a girl's home there. And the gentleman who ran that, he took us on, you know, different tours and stuff like that and helped us be safe the first time I went they were during their civil war which was Uh, kind of intense (laughs) but he took us to a place where people lived on the garbage dump people live on a garbage dump I mean just to even pause and think about that and both of my children have seen that and smelled that and it just changes you know to even fathom that so even if you know a senior trip, if they could incorporate it in with a senior trip, like do two of them, one that's fun, <laughs> go do something fun, you know, but then like do some sort of like a, like you said, a service trip to go to right. some difficult place to see life different than you, hopefully a third world country, if it's safe enough, cause you know, you don't, you, you want them to come back. <laughs> right. So, Usually we like want that. them back. But yeah, I, I, I agree. That's really important. I was listening to a podcast today and she was saying the same thing that that's she funny. believes that they asked the question of how do we help motivate our young people? And she said for them to do service, for them to see the world a different yeah. way, to enlarge their view is how I like to put it, because it has to be made bigger. They have to see beyond their own mm-hmm. life. And we all have our emotions and how to deal with them. But when you enlarge your view, it helps you to deal with that and builds resilience in you and thankfulness and gratitude. You know, you're thankful for your toothbrush that costs three dollars instead of 49 cents. Yeah, you look look around you and you're like, wow, I have a lot of stuff. You know, these people have almost nothing. Um, I did in college, I did what's called alternative spring break, um, Mm -hmm. which is basically volunteer trips. Um, And then I did it one year where it was a nationwide thing and multiple teams from different schools went and met. We were down in New Orleans and um, unfortunately all our work is now gone because Katrina hit after that Mm -hmm. and our school was like right on the water that we worked at. Um, but, uh, but but yeah, experience that you went through. Yeah. Yeah. No one can take that away from you. Is alternative spring break a program or did they just, it is, it is, it's, it's a program. Um, it's nationwide. It's I've never heard of it before. I'm going to remember that. Take note of this. If you have teenagers, (laughs) if you have high schoolers, if you're a teacher, Look up alternative spring break and see yeah. if that might be a way you can help our young people yeah. to enlarge their view. Granted, this was, you know, back in 2000. So um, so maybe it doesn't exist anymore. It, well, I don't know. I haven't even thought about <laughs> it until 
just now. right now. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's but a good yes, idea. So I maybe did. if it's gone, yeah. maybe someone will be inspired to bring it back. So yeah. Yeah. I did three different. Did I do three different or two different spring breaks? And then I did one, uh, the, the nationwide one is over Christmas break. Mm. Um, so, uh, I, uh, was down in New Orleans for new year's Eve and not allowed to drink, <laughs> <laughs> but we did, you do get to do some fun things. Um, mm-hmm. we would have a fun day where, you know, we went and, uh, went to the French quarter and, and, um, I'm trying to think we went to the beach when I did the one in Florida. Um, and then we did, I did one in West Virginia. There wasn't a whole lot of fun things to do in West, in West Virginia. Virginia. <laughs> okay. Take note of that. Uh, <laughs> so you were but in yeah, the Army was... for like 15 years then after all of this. Um, yeah. What kept you there for 15 years? You were going to be in and out and that was three years or um, four years. And then you added 11 more yeah. after that. So I owed the army eight years total after Mm. residency. Okay. So my residency was the first three years in Hawaii. And then, uh, so yeah, part of my, uh, head injury is that I jump around. The reason I told you, the the reason I told you the story about Thailand, or at least was talking about Thailand the day I got back from Thailand, I had an email from uh, my consultant. So in the, in the officer world of the army in, um, in medicine, uh, you have what's called a consultant and the pediatric consultant just happened to be the previous uh, chief of pedi- pediatrics. So I knew him very well, full mm-hmm. bird colonel, which is three ranks above a captain. Um, in the regular army captains don't converse a lot with full bird colonels in the medical world. It's a little different. You, uh, you mix ranks a lot more when working just because mm-hmm. there are doctors that are both. <laughs> Whereas in the regular army, um, unless you're directly working with them, it's just, there's, there's a lot less of that. Um, so I called him up and said, uh, sir, uh, I got this email that says I'm going operational. I'm a pediatrician. I'm, I'm not taking care of soldiers. And he's like, yeah, you are. <laughs> I was like, no, sir. I don't want to. <laughs> I'm like, that's not why I got in the army. And he's like, Amanda, you got no choice. You're taking care of soldiers. You're going operational and you need to pick aviation because you, you'll like it better. So I kind of had a choice between being a battalion surgeon with infantry units Mm -hmm. or being a flight surgeon, which is not a surgeon doing surgery in the back of a helicopter, as my mother (laughs) was telling all of her friends. I was like, somebody, somebody, I think, I don't know if it was my sister or somebody called me and was like, you need to call your mother and tell her to quit telling people you're going to be doing surgery in the back of a helicopter. (laughs) But, uh, so, so basically I, I, 
I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is crazy. Um, okay. So I chose four assignments and ended up at Fort Campbell, uh, which is where I still am. Um, it's uh, on the border of Tennessee and Kentucky. It's Fort Campbell, Kentucky is what it's called. But believe it or not, most of the bases in Tennessee. Um, and uh, we I've always lived in Tennessee when I was down here. Um, so on the way to Fort Campbell, I went to flight surgeon course. It was a six week course just to kind of basically get you in the know about all of the things that altitude can do to the body. Um, and so it wasn't teaching you how to do surgery in the back of a helicopter. No, okay. no, <laughs> just no, double check it. I mean, we did have some protocols where you could do some procedures, but you know, um, and you only did that if you had to, right, (laughs) right. (laughs) So, um, and then basically all of the regs about what pilots can and can't take, what makes it to where they're not allowed to fly. And, um, because we took care of all the pilots that were in the the battalion as well as the crew and then all all of the soldiers so you know basically you were taking care of all all kinds of of folks um so i ended up with an apache battalion so the apache is my favorite helicopter um i ended up deploying five months after i got to fort campbell um, deployed for a year, uh, and I went into operational medicine, kicking, screaming, dragging my feet, but within a few years, I was telling leadership that it's probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. Oh, wow. Because it let me see how the army works. Mm -hmm. A lot of docs never leave the hospital and don't understand how their soldiers' lives truly, oh, words are hard. Um, Like how they truly live their lives, how, how the army truly works because medicine is different. Mm -hmm. um when you're when you're in the hospital when you're in the medical side of the army um it's different it's just it's not the same um yes we still have the rank structure yes we still have the same ratings and and regulations but it's it's different it's just completely Mm -hmm. different um, it's a different view. It's another thing yes. of enlarging your view. Yes, yes, and and so I and the and the the officer professional development. You know, we're so focused on medicine and how you know to do all of the medical side of things that you get less of the military focus. And then you end up being this doc on this, you know, special group of people who help make the 
help the commander make the right decisions and you get all of this professional development working with this commander where they're focused more on leadership Hmm. and so I feel like I got so much out of that and then deploying again the medicine you see I mean I had to I had to tell a family so I was on an outlying forward operating base so basically you have your big areas Mm-hmm. And then you have these little areas and then you have even smaller little areas. And I was on one of those kind of medium size areas. Uh, and there was a special forces with us. Um, so we had what's called a roll two, which is basically a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a forward surgical team, which is basically they, they, they have a lot of the same capabilities as the hospital, but um, are really more focused on surgical, you know? So if there's a a mass casualty and they're bringing in a lot of folks. Um, So because it was on a special forces part of the base, they were very interested in hearts and minds and they did a clinic and, a family brought in their uh, their little girl whose head was shaved to make her look like a little boy um, because little girls, well, little girls are not um, valued as much as little boys over there. Yeah, but, I know in Guatemala it was that way. That's why they had started that girl's home. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like that in, in many cultures. But but then again, children are not valued. I saw so much child abuse, but it wasn't the parents. It was the Taliban and it was it was ways to threaten the parents. Um, burns and fall falls. Um, but uh, this um, the PA called me and said, hey, I can't figure out why this kid is not um, gaining weight. It was a two-year-old that weighed six kilos. So like a a big newborn can weigh five kilos. Like six kilos is uh, what? uh, 12 pounds, 13 pounds. Yeah, two-year-old, skin and bones. And so I went over there and she wasn't able to get the kid to stop crying, to listen. And I was able to kind of play with her and, you know, whopping heart murmur Um, and the, where it was and the way it sounded, I, I think it was what's called a ventricle septical teeth, ventricles, a VSD. I can't. Okay, that's, that's the word. Fine. <laughs> a I don't understand. Between, a hole between the ventricles. It was making. We understand that. <laughs> making the noise, yeah, of the heart, um, which is a defect that gets found by months of age, mm-hmm. and surgery done here. Yeah. Um, but this little girl will probably die. And so I had to tell these parents that there was nothing we could do for their child. This is likely what it was. 
he took the the kiddo which they were very um like invested in this child's life which is not the way a lot of the parents were over there Hmm. we we had a mom come in that we thought was miscarrying and her exact uh quote to the um um basically it's god's will um and i have eight more at home so it's no big deal because they're so used to the kids dying and the mortality rate over there that i was shocked when this dad said no and they went up to a hospital that was somewhere else and I don't know what happened, obviously, Um, but they were very invested in this child's life, which is different than the culture over there. But yeah, I saw some, I saw some interesting things again, being, being in a a country that doesn't have the medical assets that we have is, is eye-opening. Yeah. And then you had your, a brain injury in high school, but then you got injured again, didn't you? Because mm-hmm. you were, you know, okay, you you became a doctor, obviously, I, and you had right. you struggling with speaking now, and you went through all this <laughs> stuff that you told me about. No, I'm bringing that up not to mock you or anything, but for people to understand, it's not like, yeah. oh, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not like that. <laughs> Words it's are like hard. You've overcome. It's something yeah. you have overcome. Right, we don't even right. know what you came from. When so, how did you get injured, and then where did that um, leave you? You've recovered. So, like, fantastically from what I understand uh I let's see so so basically I um I've, I've been at Fort Campbell this whole time and I uh I did my first three years here so as a flight surgeon and then I went over to the hospital and um I had to deploy again in 2016 had a nine-month deployment and then let's see 2018 yeah 2018 the the um it was December 26 2018 uh all the kids were here so I was remarried by then all the kids were here Um, my current husband has two boys and my daughter, we were ice skating and I fell ice skating twice. Actually, I fell three times. So you're not the only one who falls ice skating. (laughs) Well, it's it's embarrassing because I took figure skating lessons and I know how to ice skate, but I had never worn hockey skates and I didn't realize how different they were. (laughs) <laughs> and so I got up on them and tried to skate the way I know how to skate. And, and they said, no, they are not, they are not. So the very first lap I took, I fell and, and hit my knee and I was like, huh, I, I totally got this. Well, as I rounded the corner, um, I fell and I don't even remember the second fall. But my husband says I fell and hit my head really hard. Um, Well, I remember falling, but I don't remember hitting my head. Uh, And then I got up and fell. And the last fall was so hard that 
my glasses flew off my face. Oh, wow. But I didn't realize it. I was just kind of sitting there and like, like, this is ridiculous. Why do I keep falling? You know? And somebody puts my glasses in my hand and I'm like, huh, where are those come from? And mind you, I can't see the big E, um, but I didn't notice my glasses weren't on my head. <laughs> So my husband was going to take me to the ER and I said, no, obviously, because <laughs> you're not stubborn or anything. No, no, not at all. <laughs> um, so I said, no, uh, well, my husband was deploying in five days mm. and the kids were all there. It was our family time. It was the last family time we were going to have for nine months. Oh, wow. And so I said, no, I'll go sit down. Well, then in about a half an hour, because we'd paid for two hours of ice time. So damn it, we were getting two hours of ice time. <laughs> and, and so I said, I'll go sit down. Well, in about a half an hour, I got up and tried to get on the ice again. And he comes skating over and he's like, whoa. <laughs> so he talked me out of it. Well, we ended up going home. The kids said I was hilarious that night. Like I was making no sense, saying all kinds of crazy things. And so I had a headache constantly. And the morning it, we, we had to take him for his flight. Like, cause you know, you have to be there like a million hours early so that you can sit and wait for the plane to get there. I mean, it's, it's a, everybody jokes around about hurry up and wait, but it's a real thing. Oh, it is. It was like that in Guatemala too. Hurry uh, up and wait. That's like the military in a nutshell. Um, so, so we're sitting there uh, getting ready to go. And I was taking Excedrin migraine. I was like, oh my gosh, I have a headache. Nick's like, yeah, you have a headache. You've had a headache since you hit your head because you have post-concussive syndrome. I'm like, no, I'm fine. So I continued to self-medicate um, with, uh, Excedrin migraine and basically ignore all the signs. I tried to go back to work. It did not work. I nearly passed out. Luckily I had a lot of other people around me that were, um, that were able to help out. Um, it's funny because they talk about how mechanics don't take care of their own car. And here you're a doctor not taking care of your own. Oh, <laughs> doctors and nurses are the worst patients. We are horrible. We do not follow our own advice. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, um, so finally my husband nagging me for my rack got me to go to the doctor. So I made an appointment that afternoon. I nearly passed out. Um, running in in the hallway um went to the doctor and he said yeah uh you need a ct and i said i don't have time for a ct i'm i'm on today i'm i'm, I'm working on the floor I, I don't have time for a ct he's like you find somebody to cover you you're having a ct so i got a ct and then he's like you need brain rest i said yeah but i gotta work on sunday and he's like you're giving me 48 hours and so i said fine and so I had to switch the schedule around, which I didn't want to do. At the time I was chief of pediatrics. I didn't want, I already had to have people cover for me because my husband's deployment times had changed. Mm -hmm. And so I had to switch the schedule around. I didn't want my employees to have to cover for me. I was mm -hmm. the chief. 
it was Christmas time. We're still on our, you know, Christmas break time. Mm -hmm. I don't want my employees and my colleagues to have to cover for me. So finally I was talked into 48 hours of brain rest, but I had to work Monday because I had traded that day with someone and I was going to work her shift. I was not going to, I was not going to, well, my boss behind my back had frozen the schedule that was still open uh, because he was worried about me. Mm. Most amazing boss I've ever had in my life. He's actually now my doctor. Um, (laughs) He's retired and is now working as a civilian. And um, he's one of the most amazing docs I've ever met in my life. Um, And the most amazing leader. Um, He's just, I, I, I don't know how he does everything he does. Um, one of those people that you just, mm. ev- he's amazing. <laughs> um, so uh, I took my Excedrin migraine and went to work and had issues all day long. And my nurses were amazing. I do absolutely. The pediatric clinic and the nurses and staff that work there are, tr- I, I still say, you know, a guy from work, uh, you know, I, they are my family and they will always be like, that is, I've, I mean, I worked there from 2013 in some way, shape or form mm-hmm. until 2018 when I fell and then they all, all supported me even after I fell and they still still support me and I I still stop in and say hi um they are they are truly my family but um so you showed up for work and it wasn't working what happened then did you uh, keep working for a while or no 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 no. they forced you to retire what what happened that very day uh my nurse walked in to tell me about my last patient and said, I'm going to go find somebody else to see this patient. I don't think you can. Like I was in my chair and the room was spinning at that point. Um, I call, I, I had finished all my documentation and uh, I texted my boss and told them, Hey, sir, you know, I, I saw all but my last patient, you know, doc so-and-so is going to see my last one, or I think it was one of the, one of the mid-levels, one of the nurse practitioners, somebody saw my last patient and he called me and I got the biggest butt chewing of my life. He told me I was not allowed to come back to work until I was cleared by a neurologist and I needed to take better care of myself. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, um, basically a month goes by. Oh yeah. Everybody's usually better by a month, but that's okay. Because like 97% of people are better by three months, three months goes by. I'm still not working, but I'm trying to run my clinic from home. And my boss basically said, you're going to the WTB, which is the wounded or the uh, warrior transition battalion, which is basically where you go when you're injured and 
they move you there so they can get somebody to come in and work mm. in your position. Unfortunately, docs only come once a year. We have mm. PCS season, uh, mm. permanent change of station. Um, so whether or not I was in the WTB, they still weren't going to get anybody to fill my spot. Mm. But at least people weren't confused about who was in charge the real reason he sent me over there was so that I would quit trying to be in charge. You would um, quit trying to do what you were not capable of doing. <laughs> yeah, basically I felt guilty that uh, I was letting my clinic down and I can appreciate that, but then I, you weren't giving them your best either. No. So it, well, like, it's like a complicated mess of feelings there, huh? It was hard because I went from being this, you know, go-getter, uh, never stop, chief of pediatrics to sitting in a dark room, headaches daily, hmm. unable to do anything. Um, and so um, they put me in the warrior transition battalion, um, which is now called the soldier recovery unit um and uh i went to the tbi clinic on post which was amazing um my therapy there was great um i went eight months with literally eight months of migraines i had two headache free days um because i had to keep a headache diary i still keep a headache diary i have an app and mm -hmm. I only record when I have a headache. I don't record every day. If I have a headache, usually it's the next day I'll record headache or migraine uh, because my neurologist that I see now still um, wants to know, like, are we improving? Because I'm still not where she wants me to be. Mm -hmm. So um, how long ago was this at this time now? How long ago was your um, injury now? So. Did, was it back in 2018? It was, it was December 26, 2018. Oh yes. That's four years, almost yeah. four years. I, I, I'm not practicing medicine now. Um, so I did practice medicine for a little bit. Um, my boss called me, actually his admin assistant texted me on a Sunday morning that he needed to see me ASAP. And I ended up being the uh, chief of COVID triage and started up the phone lines for COVID oh, wow. um, at the beginning of all that mess and worked uh, March, April, May, June, about four months. Um, and then I called him crying, literally. Um, I was so stressed out. My migraines were worse. My, I just, I couldn't do it. Um, oh, yeah, I, I can't imagine working with a migraine. <laughs> I tried to go back. I tried to go back and I tried to go back. Um, but even seeing patients, I can see about four patients. And um, the problem with kids is half the time you're chasing them around the dang room. <laughs> and that is one of my hardest things is when I change planes, I get off balance. Mm. And so the up and down 
mm-hmm. not good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was working out with a friend one time and she, uh, wanted me to do, um, squats and the first squat, I almost fell over, um, <laughs> because I can't, I can't do that. Um, mm-hmm. I've gotten better. Um, I know how to like, you know, slowly do things to where I can, but I'll still forget. Um, like one day when I was showing off a dress to my husband and I spun in a circle and I was like, Whoa, that was not a good idea. Um, but yeah, so, um, I still fall occasionally. Um, but then, uh, the fatigue is crazy. Um, I, I, the headaches like take everything out of me. If I have a headache or a migraine, um, I may sleep for two days mm-hmm. and the pain's gone, but I'm still completely worthless. Oh, wow. I don't, I don't, uh, I think I've total had maybe three or four headaches since the injury that I couldn't get rid of the pain mm-hmm. and had to go into the ER or the clinic to get them to break the pain. So three or four times in what, four years, four I'm not years. really, whatever, you know, but, um, but it disrupted your whole life. It's and everything. When did you, though. when did you retire from medicine and when did you retire from the <laughs> army? Well, was I this that was at the, like the same time yeah, because they I were married to each other. Technically retired from medicine. I'm still licensed. Um, I'm still a board certified pediatrician. Okay. Uh, I'm keeping up all of my, um, my licensure and my board certification because I hope maybe, um, In enough time you'll be all better. That'd be I awesome. don't think I'll ever be all better, <laughs> but I'd like to get to the point where I have the coping skills to maybe even work part-time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I retired my, from the army. It took three years. I was medically retired, um, because I kept trying to go back to work. Um, that kind of delayed things. Um, but my last day in the army was July 23rd, um, of this year. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, I am officially medically retired. Um, and, um, at this point I'm focusing on crafting. Um, so one of my recovery, uh, things that they wanted me to do was find, they wanted me to focus on one of my hobbies. And I was like, what hobbies? All I do is work. Um, so one thing that was great when I, when my husband deployed was that his family is local here and they were amazing. Um, they really took care of me. So, uh, my niece took me to the bookstore because it's like this huge, like everything. And we decided, you know, we were going to find me a hobby. So I tried origami and that is not for me. Um, yeah, it was not good. Um, I'm too much of a perfectionist. Origami is not a good thing. Um, so I tried crochet and it took three tries and I finally got, um, got it. 
Um, okay. And then I went over to my husband's Mima and had her teach me how to crochet the tops on the little towels that hang the little mm-hmm. kitchen hand towels. Um, so now uh, I am a vendor. <laughs> I have my own little business called Amanda's Crochet Cubby. Um, and I do a couple of vendor events a year and I have my things in a little booth at, at a small store. Um, and I just kind of, it helps me relax it. It, uh, it's give it gives me purpose. Um, it's hard going from a like full steam ahead to like now what? You know, like I was a successful doctor and I can't even do my job now. Um, It took a good couple of years for me to accept that and accept who I am now. Um, Yeah, you stayed in the army all of that time during your recovery and through your therapy and you're still in therapy and in there somewhere you wrote a book. Where where in that timeline um, did you decide to write a book and how long did it take you to write a book? And it was just published this year, wasn't it? uh, Last year. year. It's been a little over a year. Yeah, it was November, beginning of November last year, I think. Okay. Hold on. 2020. I can look at the book. (laughs) (laughs) What does it say? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it was last year. Yeah, it was 2021. So hold up your book and tell us the oh. name of your book. So my my book is Hot Mess to Wellness, Seven Steps to Better Health When You Have Tried It All and Had Enough. So yeah, about, it was April of, gosh, it was April of last year, Um 2021. Yeah. Um, I was kind of getting to the point where it was like, all right, um, I've, you know, hit my lowest and I'm trying to claw my way back out. Um, I'm sick and tired of all this. I feel like crap all the time. Is it my head injury? Is it because like, I have just let myself go. Um, I was the heaviest weight I had ever been. Um, and I just, I, I was sluggish, you know, I just, you and hot so, mess. <laughs> I was a hot mess. I still am a hot mess. It's a journey. I talk about the journey in the book a the lot. Journey. So you're working a, on the wellness. It's a journey. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the two part still. <laughs> um, but, um, so it was April uh, of last year, and I was like, I went to back to the bookstore, mm-hmm. and um, I couldn't find anything. Like, you know, everything's like this hardcore, like, you know, go, 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 like some hit workout or some paleo diet or something where I got to cut a bunch of stuff out or I got to do all these calculations and I've played that game. I've done diets and diets don't work. And that's not what I wanted. I wanted Mm -hmm. something more. Mm -hmm. So I started writing myself a plan and four pages later, I was like, I ought to just write a book. So I Googled, how do you write a book? And I found this place called, um, self-publishing school. And I talked to them and I, it's not cheap. I will probably never make the money back that I paid, but I wrote a book 
you know, and, and you it, published it was a, it was a huge accomplishment for me yes. <laughs> and it held me accountable. As a matter of fact, writing this book held me more accountable than I am now. Um, I will say I have fallen off the wagon and <laughs> you um, need to read your own book. I actually, yes, I do, except I probably have it memorized. Um, I know what to do. And mm. everything in this book is something I already knew. I had to do very little research for this book. Um, I did have to do some, you know, for the specifics, but um, it's all easy stuff. I mean, so it focuses on more than just diet. Um, mm -hmm. It, it talks about mindfulness and being in the moment and um, basically starting your day off doing something to slow yourself down. And it talks about how I used to literally roll out of bed, throw on clothes and go to work, be in a hurry, be angry all the time. And if you just stop, and start out your morning and try to do something to center yourself, mm -hmm. it slows down your whole day and changes your whole mindset. Oh, it does. Um, and so, yeah, so the very first chapter is mindfulness. And in every chapter, I talk about taking a week and setting a habit. And if you need longer than a week, take longer than a week. If you want to read the whole book, that's fine, but then go back and do each chapter individually. Because if you try to change everything all at once, it's just going to fail. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so, so I talk about mindfulness and then I talk about relaxation and having hobbies. And so, you know, now um, what's really helped me through my recovery is not only my crochet, but my chickens. Um, I'm kind of obsessed. Uh, I have 11 of them now. So I do, I have chickens. Um, we moved out into the country. Uh, finally, I'm back in the country. We have five acres. And one of the stipulations when we were buying a house was that I wanted enough land that I could have chickens. And so that was one of the things we looked for. And I have my chickens now. Okay. Um, and so that's, that is one of my hobbies and just sitting and watching them. Oh my gosh, they're hilarious. <laughs> they're, they're the stupidest animals, but yet it, they're smart. Like Interesting. it's just crazy. Um, but yes, I love my chickens. So yeah. So you've got the relaxation and then you've got sleep. If you don't get sleep you can't recover mm -hmm. you can't uh your body can't restore itself that's that's yes, when it restores that's, itself yes, is when thank you're you. sleeping again <laughs> words are hard. i learned um, the the power of sleep um this past may as i got covid and oh, i got it in june and i slept almost constantly for like two or three days and really learned the power of sleep from that. And I changed some of my sleep habits because of that. Because sleep is very powerful. I, I know the, the 
not the first one to know that there's other people out there who've made a thing about it. So <laughs> I don't know. Sleep yeah, is absolutely. a very powerful thing. So. And I talk about the different stages of sleep and, and just kind of explain it to people because mm-hmm. this book, the, the, you know, when you write a book, they're like, who's your avatar? Who's your, you know, who are you writing this for? And I'm like, uh, me, I'm my avatar. Like I want to write it to the hot mess chick who needs to read about something that, I mean, there are all kinds of me out there, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's who needs this book. You know, the woman who is tired of being a slug, you know, you, you, you want to feel better. You want to get up off the couch, but you're not going to go do CrossFit. Mm-hmm. You're or not going to therapy or right. Right. So, so yeah, I talk about, these are the changes that you can make in your life that are true doable. changes. They're yeah. They're doable. doable. They're, they're small changes mm-hmm. that, you know, um, and then I get into hydration, the importance of actually drinking fluids. Yeah. I am a hypocrite every morning. I do my coffee and I have I to start coffee. with coffee. I got to do my coffee. Um, and then I get into the diet, but I talk about what to eat. And before I get into the what to eat, I talk about healthy eating. I talk about, I go through, let's go out to dinner. Let's go out to dinner at a steak restaurant. And let's just talk about that meal that we eat because we all do it. We get there and we eat the bread. That's more beneficial than, you know, just the other way of doing it. You have to have life application. Life application for these things. We, We eat the buns. How many pieces of bread do we eat sitting there waiting for our our meal, you know? And then, you know, then you get the steak, which is two to three times a portion size. And we eat the whole thing. Then you get that potato that's so stinking big and probably at least two portion sizes. And then in addition to that, you've got the salad, but the salad's covered with ranch dressing and croutons. And so, I mean- you're eating so many portion sizes mm-hmm. and it like we overeat. We really overeat. And then we're starving the next day because it's like, oh my gosh, I have to eat that much again, you know? And so it really, it talks about all of that. It talks about portion sizes and uh, looking at what you're eating, you know, What's Give us the titles, the, the chapter titles. We, we're going long on time here. Oh, okay. So, I wanna so yeah, them... so basically it's uh, mindfulness. Well, yeah. um, let me see. Let me find my, I, I don't want to tell you wrong. My memory is horrible. Table of contents. <laughs> there we go. Mindfulness, relaxation for the body, mind, and spirit, restful sleep, hydration, ditching the diet what foods are healthy, let's get moving and finding the support you need for your journey. And then um, in here, I have links to my website, uh, which is very horribly managed because I will admit I am a failure managing a website. I wanted to do a blog and all that stuff. It's not me. 
Um, but there are some uh, logs that you can download and uh, print out on there, the wellness journey weekly log. And then um, there's also some charts and other things uh, that you can get on the website. So, um, so So yeah. Where can they they get your book at your website? Is it available on Amazon? Amazon. It's on Amazon and you can just type in hot mess to wellness and it should be one of the first few things that pop up. Um, you can, it's, um, it's available ebook and softback. Um, I'm trying to get it into the bookstores, but I'm, uh, slow at getting things done. Um, and I'm at the point now where I am recording a, uh, um, audiobook. Um, but I'm doing it myself with the help of a producer so it's also slow moving <laughs> because I am not technology. I'm, I am technology challenged. Um, so, uh, slowly, um, and I'm also writing another book right now. So, um, uh, a children's book. So, so yeah, I'm trying to do way too many things at once. And at times I get overwhelmed and then just don't do anything at all. Um, because Sounds like a lot of humanity. That's how my, that's how my brain works. <laughs> All right. So how can people connect with you? What, what's the name of your website? Are you on socials? Um, I am. So my, my website is hot mess to wellness as well. Um, but it has the dashes it's hot dash mess dash. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'll have the website wellness. in the show notes and yeah. everything, but okay. I'd like for people to um, hear it from you. So, yeah, so, so yeah, absolutely. Um, and, uh, I do have, Um, no, that's it. I have, I'm trying to think of what I have. And then my email, um, I, I believe is, is on that accessible my on your, your website? I think it's on my website. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, and then Amanda's crochet cubby, um, is also another way people can get in touch with me. I have a Facebook page as well as a, um, a website. Awesome. Well, that's great. Anything you want to share before we tie this up? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing, um, I started doing podcasts because I wanted to get my book out there, but in doing them, I, my injury really has been a focus of a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that has come out of doing these is, is that people can't let their injury or their trauma, whether it be, you know, PTSD or, and you don't have to be in the military to have PTSD. There are so many other ways, (laughs) Um, but you can't let that define you. And I did for a long time. Um, You have to kind of figure out who you are and who the new you is and create that person and not let that that trauma define you. Um, I'm still trying to figure out who that person is. Uh, People ask me, you know, what are you doing now? And I'm like, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. 
um, <laughs> because that's kind of where I am now. It, uh-huh. it, it's funny. My, my sister's son just graduated high school and he's trying to figure himself out. And, and I was talking to him on the phone the other night and I said, dude, I'm, I'm in the same place as you are right now. And I, and I'm 42 years old. Like I, I, I'm kind of trying to figure out who I am and, and what I want to do in life. It's, it's like, I, I'm a teenager again, you know, going out in the world and trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. Um, But that's a testament that we can at any time in our life, stop and do that. If we find that we have just gone down the road and we find ourselves somewhere because life drove us there or, you know, the authority figures in our lives drove us there, or we made a bunch of bad decisions and found ourselves somewhere, no matter where we are today, we can start today and start building a new future. Right. Well, and I'm lucky that I have the support system to do so. Um, And that's so important. Support systems are extremely important. Yeah. And I have a great support system. Um, The military itself has provided me an amazing support system. Some of that's wonderful. I know not every veteran has that story. (laughs) Yeah. Well, some of the best people I know, um, the hospital in and of itself, the people I worked with, Mm -hmm. um, but my husband and his family and my family, they're all an amazing support systems. So I'm lucky. I'm lucky. But yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your story with us today. And for those of you listening, I want you to feel encouraged. If you are stuck somewhere, you can start fresh today. If you have a support system around you, tap into that. And if you don't, reach out for one. There are places available. And if you don't know where to start, reach out to Amanda, reach out to me, and maybe we can give you some places to start for you to start finding that support because support will mitigate trauma. Support will help you to stand on your own two feet and become your best self. So thank you for being with us today, Amanda. And thank you for those listening to us today. Until next time, I love you. Thank you so much for listening to the Victorious Souls podcast. You matter and you are loved. We'd love to connect with you further. So please visit us at daniellebernock.com and grab a copy of Danielle's free audiobook. And remember, only you can change your life. No one can do it for you.